If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them to Acts chapter 11. I'll be reading verses 19 through 24, and we'll be reading that from the King James Version. Starting at verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the, the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent for Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad, and exhorted them all that all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Well, it's good to be with you today. Glad I'm able to be here and have the opportunity to worship with faithful Christians. So thankful for the visitors that we're having that are with us. We're glad that you're here. Of course, we want you to always come back anytime that you have an opportunity to come be with us. Let me tell you what I love. I love to hear babies. I'll tell you that much. I love to hear babies because you know what that tells me? We've got babies in the building, and I love that. And so I am thankful if I can hear a baby. So uh, it's okay when we hear them. You know, growing up, I loved to watch baseball. As a child, my dad moved to Dayton, Ohio with his mother and two brothers. And while in Dayton, Ohio, being close to the Cincinnati area, he became a Cincinnati Reds fan. And so as a result of that, when I came along and I was growing up in the 70s, I became a Cincinnati Reds fan. And, and who wouldn't be, right? You had Johnny Bench, you had all those other players and the Big Red Machine. And so I was a Cincinnati Reds fan. And I enjoyed watching baseball. Now, for a period of time, in the late 80s, I guess, I quit watching baseball because I became upset when we didn't have a World Series one year. And I thought, well, they're making all that money, and now they have deprived me of the World Series. So I quit watching baseball for years. Well, then a few years ago, maybe three years ago or so, we were on vacation as a family, and I was flipping through the channels, and I came across a baseball game. And so I watched it just for a few minutes, and then it occurred to me, well, I have a whole room full of girls here, so I just flipped off the channel and went to something else. And, and of course, Blakeland said, wait a minute, turn that back. And I said, well, it's a baseball game. She said, I know, I like baseball. She had never seen a baseball game before, so how did she know she liked baseball? But not to lose an advantage, I turned it back. And we watched that baseball game. Now, I'm not finished. The two teams playing baseball was the New York Mets and the Washington Nationals. Of which I didn't like either team. I certainly didn't like the New York Mets. Well, fortunately, I guess for me, the Washington Nationals won the game and there was produced for the very first time 
probably in the history of my family, a female who now was a baseball fan. And not only was she a baseball fan, she was a Washington Nationals fan. And so we've been watching baseball ever since. But we've been watching national, the Washington Nationals baseball ever since. And so my pleas of becoming a Cincinnati Reds baseball fan fell upon deaf ears. And so now I'm a Washington Nationals fan. And if you want to ask my girls, they can tell you who the starting pitchers are, who plays what position, if they're any good or not, what the batting average is, and if they uh, played in the last game very well or not. And so understanding that, and me, of course, getting a subscription to MLB.com so we can watch the Washington Nationals baseball games when they're on, I had to come up with a reason to spend money on that. And so finally I came to the realization that baseball is a very educational activity. And I've titled the name of this sermon this morning, What Baseball Taught Me. And so hopefully now when... Blakeland and I and the girls and, and Nicole a lot of the time, when we are sitting on the couch, Nicole less maybe than the rest of us, she can understand that what we're doing is extremely educational and needed in our home. Because we do learn a lot of things about baseball or from baseball. We learn first that we need to get along in this life. We need to get along with each other. Sometimes we need to understand that we have to depend on other people. Sometimes we need to always be reminded of we need to follow the rules, right? We learn from baseball that we need to show the proper respect for authority even though some people do not show the proper respect for authority. We learn that we need to work hard and focus our efforts on what needs to be accomplished. And when we do that, we can win, and that's another thing that baseball teaches us. We can win. We learn that we must take advantage of our abilities if we're going to be successful. And we also learn that we must be steadfast in learning more and getting better at what we do. So as I was studying the passage read before us this morning, I began to look at some of the characteristics that are spoken of in that passage and I began to see some of the things that I learned from baseball in the lives of those people that Luke about who Luke wrote. Now, I think that's what we want to do this morning. I don't believe that the people of the first century played a game similar to baseball, but I do know that they involved themselves in sports and they enjoyed sports and I do know also that at times Paul would use as illustration the games in which they played. They had four different games. I uh, can't remember all of them right off of the top of my mind, but particularly Paul would often point to the Isthmian games. Of course, there were the Olympics and there were two others and the Olympic games are still with us this year. But Paul would often use the Isthmian games to uh, drive home a point through illustration. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want us to take something that's very familiar to us in our culture and in lots of places around the world and use that as illustration about the things that we learn 
from the passage read for us this morning and the necessary qualities that we must possess as Christians. For instance, when we read Acts 11 verse 19, we learn, just like in baseball, that we must focus on the target. That's our first point. We must focus on the target. Now, on what target did those people focus? Well, first of all, we learn in that verse that there was a problem. There was a problem in Jerusalem, and these people were very aware of it. In fact, how are they described? They were scattered abroad because of the persecution that resulted from the death of Stephen. Now, we know all about that, don't we? We can back up a few chapters in the book of Acts, and we get over there and we read about Stephen being murdered at the hands of Saul of Tarsus. And then we get over to chapter 9 and we, talk, we learn about how that Saul caused that persecution to get greater and greater. In fact, he was headed to Damascus to capture more Christians, to put them in jail, to put them to death. And so Luke reminded his readers that there were faithful Christians scattered abroad because of that problem. Now what really was the problem? The problem wasn't necessarily the persecution, that was a side effect of the problem. The problem wasn't necessarily Saul of Tarsus working for the Sanhedrin Council, the Jewish religion that was at that point a defunct Jewish religion and no longer in effect. That wasn't the problem, that was just simply a side effect. The problem was sin. That was the problem. And they understood that. And they understood that needed to be addressed and And that makes sense to us, right? Because the Bible is a book about sin. Now wait a minute, someone says, I thought the Bible was a book about salvation. Well, it is. Another person says, now wait a minute, I thought the Bible was a book about a Savior, and I agree with that, it is. But a Savior and salvation from what? Sin, right? That was the problem. There was a great problem in the world. And it didn't just happen in Jerusalem. It had been happening for 4,000 years since the creation of the world, and it just happened to kind of culminate and come to a head for the ability for Christ to come into the world at the proper time to give us a solution for sin. But there was a problem, and those people had to focus on the target. Now the Bible has only two chapters wherein God's greatest creation is treated in its innocent state. From chapter 3 of Genesis onward, people are fallen beings in need of redemption and reconciliation back to God. So the Bible is a book about sin, and so we must focus on the problem if we're going to do anything about the problem, right? If we have any kind of issue in our lives, we need to focus on that problem, or we will never be able to correct that issue So that was the problem. I want us to notice what sin did to the people who engage in sin. Well, we can go all the way back to Satan and his angels. What what happened to Satan and his angels who sinned in some way against God? They were cast from heaven. They They were told to leave heaven, the greatest place anyone can even imagine. And since Satan is not an eternal being, he is a created being, And he was created with the same abilities that we're created in as far as he had free moral agency along with those other angels. And so they could choose whether to be faithful to God or not. Now we understand that 
the angel didn't have a second law of pardon, right? Because they saw God for exactly who He is in His very presence. They didn't have faith and don't have faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11 verse 1, and they saw it all with fully open eyes. Yet they still chose to sin against God, so they were cast down to be held in chains of darkness in the Hadean realm, waiting on the final judgment. But it was their choice. Paul alluded to that prideful condemnation when he told Timothy and spoke of the the qualifications of an elder. He said, 1 Timothy 3 verse 6, that an elder should not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And Peter, as well as Jude, talked about the sin of Satan. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6. So we understand that that sin was a choice and it brought about something that was not good. Like in Jerusalem, sin disrupted the peace that was in Eden. Ab and Eve chose to sin against God, so they lost their position with God, a very intimate fellowship with Him, and they were cast out of the garden. Sin ruined the life of earth's firstborn, didn't it? Cain killed his brother because he chose to sin in worship, and when God rebuked him, instead of taking the rebuke and making himself better, he became angry with God and his brother, and he murdered his brother. And like his parents... Genesis chapter 3, he refused to take responsibility for that, and that's what sin does. Sin, that is one of the problems. It takes away from us the desire to be responsible and to accept our wrongdoings and to do something about that. But there's more. Sin caused all of life on earth to be destroyed, Genesis chapter 6, because no one except for those saved in the ark, wanted to be obedient to God and follow after His commandments. That's what sin, that is the problem, and that's what it does for us. The great man of faith, Abraham, caused a lot of problems for him, didn't it? Caused him to lie twice concerning the relationship he truly had with his wife. They were half-siblings, but she was his wife, and that was the description that he should have given both to the king of Egypt and to the Philistine king. Now, sin also disrupted his home when he and Sarah formed a better plan on how God would cause their promised son to come into this world. And so she gave Hagar to Abraham, and then we know the result, and probably still suffering from that to this very day. What about Isaac? Isaac lied, did the same thing. He learned it from his father. He lied about the relationship he had with uh, Rebekah, his wife. He lied about that because he feared that the uh, king of Egypt would take his life. What about, his, what about the grandson of, of Abraham, Esau? He was a wicked man. He was a, a sensual man. He, he did not care for God or mankind at all. He was lacking totally in spirituality. What about Jacob? He was a young deceiver. He was a schemer and he was a liar. That's what sin does to you. It turns you into someone you do not want to be. His great-grandchildren, Abraham, sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Their own brother mistreated their own kinfolk and sold them into slavery, hoping that he would be killed. Reuben had an incestuous affair with his stepmother. Judah did the same thing with his daughter-in-law. That's what sin does. That's the problem. See, it causes us to do things that we should not be doing 
and it separates us from God. The book of Judges, we can read that all day long. It talks about the darkest hour in the history of Israel where they would continually, generation after generation, turn their backs upon God. Isaiah would later tell Israel, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, he said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you, and your God and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. And it continues. It has never stopped. It's never let up. Sin is the problem. And we better focus on that target, or we're not going to be able to do anything about it. But there's something else that baseball has taught me. As I look at something, we may focus on the target, but we have to do something else, right? The pitcher may stand on the mound, and he may focus on the catcher's mitt, but if he just continually stands on the mound here in a few minutes, the umpire is going to be upset because he's not throwing any pitches. He has to do something, right? What about the batter who's standing in the box and he's watching the pitcher and his target is the baseball and the baseball comes by and he targets the baseball and he's understanding that, well, that's going to be a slider or that's going to be a curveball or or that's about a 98-mile-per-hour fastball and he's targeted and focused on that target, but then he just stands there. Well, he's got about three of those and he has to go sit on the bench. What about the one playing second base or shortstop or third base or first base or somewhere on the infield and the ball is hit to them and they see the target and they just stand and watch it and it goes right by them. Well, you're not going to be in the major leagues very long doing that and the same thing for the outfield. Have you ever seen them back up and back up and back up and, and then the ball land right beside them? I saw that last year and one of my players did that and I was very upset about it. But that only happened once because if it happened too many times, he's going to be off the team. So we can't just focus on the problem. We have to be able to understand what can I do to cause myself a little profit from this target. So what do I need to do? How do I need to handle the problem, right? That's the thing we need to understand. And we see that in our passage for us. After the faithful scattered from Jerusalem, it says they went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch doing what? Preaching the Word. That was what was needed to affect the problem. If sin is our greatest problem, the gospel is our greatest profit. Right? That's what we're going to gain from. That's what we're going to need to better ourselves. The God of heaven would not and does not allow His creation to remain in a state where they cannot be reconciled back to Him. The first couple did not leave the garden without understanding they could be reconciled at some point back to God, Genesis 3.15. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all promised that a descendant of theirs would save the world. What a promise. And of course that was Christ who brought salvation into the world and who would profit anyone who chose to be profited. However... Along with salvation, God has attached with that certain requirements, right? We have to be able to be willing to do certain things. If I'm a baseball player and I want to be a home run hitter, I have to spend a lot of time in batting practice. If I'm going to be a major league baseball pitcher, I have to spend a lot of time on the mound practicing my different pitches, right? You have the fastball, you have the off-speed, you have the curve, you have the slider, you have the cutter. You have all kinds of pitches, 
And that's a lot of stuff to have to know, and so I have to practice that, and I have to spend time doing that. And there are requirements, right? When you throw a curveball, you have to hold the ball a certain way, and you have to turn your wrist and your shoulder in a certain direction. There are requirements. If you don't do that, you won't throw a curveball, right? So what are the requirements for profiting from God? have to become a Christian have to obey the gospel plan of salvation. I have to listen to what he says. How many great Major League Baseball pitchers listen to the worst pitching coach in the league? Or how many great Major League Baseball pitchers go down to the elementary school where that's the only place the guy can get a job and they want to get direction from him on how to throw a 98-mile-per-hour fastball? doesn't happen, does it? What about batting coaches? I don't see any Major League Baseball batting champions knocking on my door wanting me to instruct them in how to hit a fastball because I can't do it. At least I haven't been able to for 30 years. So there are requirements. And you've got to go to the right place. We have to go to the Bible to understand how we need to be a Christian. It doesn't matter what I say or anyone else says. We need to understand what God says. God says I have to listen to His Word and and that produces faith because I look at the evidence, right? God doesn't expect us to believe something without evidence. We see the evidence. We see that the Bible is an inspired document because of the things that it talks about in the way in which it talks about them. When it talks about science, it's accurate. When it talks about geography, it's accurate. When it talks about history, it's very accurate. And it never tells a lie and it never contradicts itself. I look at all those things and that produces faith in me. That causes me to want to change my life, right? I want to focus on the problem. I want to fix the problem. What's going to profit me by becoming a Christian and I'm willing to repent and change my life, confess that Jesus is the very Son of God and that He is the process through which I go to become a Christian, being immersed in water, because that's what He said, Mark 16, 16, not because that's what Rick Owens said. Then living a faithful life, Matthew 10, 22 continuing to focus on the problem and what will be the profit as I continue on down through life. Just like in the game of baseball, we have to focus on the problem. We have to understand sin is an issue that we have to address and we have to get out of our lives and we have to do whatever necessary to make that happen, right? We have to understand that it will destroy us spiritually and eternally and cause a lot of other problems physically in this life. And that the only way we can gain a profit from that is listening to the preaching and the teaching of the gospel and to participate in that as well, telling other people. Do you know what salvation means to us? When we look at the problem of sin and then we look at what will profit us and allow us to get to heaven, do you know what salvation means to us? It means that I'm a member of the church established on the first Pentecost following the Lord's resurrection from the grave. That's what salvation means. It means I am a child of God, Galatians 3, 26 through 27. It means I have security in Christ as long as I remain faithful, John 10, 27 through 29. It means I'm going to heaven when this life is over, 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 18. Boy, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? In fact, it doesn't get better than that. It means that we'll hear these words, Matthew 25, 21. 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And it means there'll be no more goodbyes. There'll be no more disease or sickness or tears or crying or heartaches in this world. There will only be eternal bliss. That's what salvation means. And boy, is that a profit or not? That's very profitable to us. We're not going to be disappointed. There's not going to be any more sin. Baseball taught me to focus on the target. But it taught me something else. If I'm going to focus on the target and I'm going to be successful in identifying the problem and learning what will profit me, I have to take advantage of the tools that are before me. That's our second point. When we play baseball, we have to rely upon the appropriate tools, right? When a pitcher stands on the mound, he doesn't hold in his hand a a bowling ball. He doesn't hold in his hand a football. He doesn't hold in his hand a soccer ball. He relies on the baseball. Right? When a Major League Baseball player stands in the batter's box, he does not have a wiffle bat in his hand or a golf club or anything else like that. He has a baseball, a certain kind of baseball bat built to specifications. Right? He can't use a Little League bat. He can't use a college bat. They use metal baseball bats. You use wooden ones in the Major League. You have to rely on the correct tools. And they have to be familiar with how to use them, right? I remember watching, and you may remember this, one of the very first episodes of the Andy Griffith show. It may be the very first one when, uh, the uh, and I can't recall her name, the first housekeeper they had, she was getting married and leaving, and they brought Aunt B on the scene. Well, I hope he didn't like that because he really loved the first housekeeper had been rearing him and, Taught him how to catch frogs and to fish and all those things little boys need to know. Taught him how to play baseball. And so they were trying to teach Aunt B how to play baseball and she's standing over there and she's holding the bat on the big end. Well, that's incorrect. She wasn't familiar with the tools, right? She was holding it on the big end. And you remember what happened. She was finally just going to go and Opie got to thinking about it and he ran down to the car and he said, Don't go. What's she going to do? She doesn't know how to do anything in this life. She can't catch frogs or fish or play baseball, nothing important. So we have to be familiar with the tools, right? And so what are our tools? Well, what are the tools they used in Acts? They used the Word of God, right? I can still remember the baseball glove I had in high school. It took a long process for me to get that thing where it worked properly. I can remember I would take mink oil and and I would rub mink oil over that, and I'd put a baseball in it, and I'd wrap it up in a towel, and I'd run over it with the car, and, and I did all kinds of things. And boy, it's just a perfect baseball glove now, and it's been that way for more than 30 years. But see, I had to do certain things, and it was a process. It didn't just happen overnight. It was a process. Christians have to rely on the Word of God to bring our target into focus, but we have to know how to use it. We have to be able to use it. Those in Antioch used the Bible. They preached the gospel. That was the tool of salvation. And they understood that and they were familiar with it and they could use it. And they understood why it was so important. And Paul gave us the reason why it's worth getting familiar with Romans 1.16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Not what some person says, but the word of God is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of it, he said. We better not be, and he was familiar with it, and we must be familiar with it also. He goes on in his letter to the Ephesians. He talked about the tools 
that we need to use to wage the good fight of faith. Ephesians 6 uh, verse 17 says, as he finished up those words, he said, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now how many Roman soldiers or military people at this time, and that's who, what Paul was using as an example, would go into battle without their short sword? Well, only the ones that wanted to be killed in battle. See, and none of them wanted to be killed in battle. So they took their sword. They were familiar with it. They knew where it hung on their side. They knew how it felt in their hand. They could put their helmet on. They could use their, their shield and the other things that they placed on their bodies for protection. They knew exactly where it needed to be. And if it wasn't in the right place, they could tell. And so they were familiar. Baseball taught me to, that I have to have teammates. A lot of the time if I'm going to win the game, right? You have to have teammates. We need teammates to help us work in the church. Paul had teammates, didn't he? He had Paul or he had Barnabas, he had Silas, he had Timothy, he had Titus, he had Mark, he had a whole host of other people. He had to have teamwork or teammates to be able to do the work. While we rely on the word of God at the same time, we have to reach out to our fellow workers. We have to have the word of God, but we also have to have workers. Those are two tools that we use, right? We have to be familiar with them. Notice what Antioch did, Acts 11, verse 22. What did they do? They sent Barnabas. They heard about the wonderful things going on after those Christians had scattered. And they said, well, they need some help. Let's send Barnabas. He knows what to do. We do that a lot in the mission field, don't we? We all can't leave our homes and our native lands and go to halfway around the world or a quarter way around the world or down into the the southern hemisphere, or wherever else the gospel needs to go, but it needs to go. And so we can't all do that, but you know what we can do? We can send someone to go, and we can help fund that in some way. That's what Romans 10, Paul talks about, right? We can do that. Uh, we have to be, be able to reach out to fellow workers. You know, when, blank, when playing baseball... Here's one of the things I learned very first. I played third base a lot. I played second base. It was very difficult for me to field a ball at third base or second base, throw that ball to first base, and then me be standing on first base to catch it. Well, that's hard. You have to be really fast, right? And I never was that fast. So I had to have a teammate standing on that base. And I had to be able to work with that teammate. He had to understand what I knew and, and and uh, I had to understand what he knew, and I needed to know his abilities, he needed to know my abilities, and we needed to be able to work together. And the work in the church is a team effort, and all members are needed to work. Paul said this, Philippians 2, verse 12, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, especially when I do not know the answer, which is a lot of the time, Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But notice he didn't say you have to always work it out alone. We need teammates. Team members have to have the same goal in mind, right? We can't be going in different directions. That's what Jesus was talking about when uh, the Pharisees credited his abilities by the power of Satan. He said, a house divided can't stand. Abraham Lincoln didn't come up with that. Being a smart individual, he quoted from the Bible when he said that. A house divided cannot stand. Why in the world would God, the creator of all things, 
give to a created being, Satan, a fallen angel, not created sinful, but chose to be that way, the ability to give Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the ability and the power to perform a miracle. Well, that doesn't make sense at all anyway. But why would Satan want to? Why would Satan want to? Why would God want to do that? See, it doesn't make sense at all. Our team members are very important to us. We have a wonderful fellowship with our team members, those who, with, with whom we work. And, and that's one of the pleasures and one of the benefits of being a Christian in this life. We learn from those who had, had been scattered abroad to focus on the target. We learn that they made good use of the tools at their uh, disposal. But there was something else that I learned as an illustration from baseball and that I saw in the works of these people. You have to continue on tirelessly. Tirelessly. That's our third point. We can't stop. We can't give up. We learned when Barnabas went to Antioch that he was glad, verse 23, and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Be tireless in your efforts. Now how are we going to do that? If we're going to be tireless in our efforts and we're going to continue under the burden of a lot of issues in the world and people fighting against us as we spread the gospel, we have to be confident in what we're doing. We have to be confident. Have you ever seen a baseball player, and I'm kind of watching it right now with with one of our players, go through what we know as a slump? They get up to the bat, or they get up into the batter's box, and you know they may have 20 home runs coming into you know the 60th game of the season, and then they go 20 games, they can't hardly get a hit. They might dribble one out and 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 beat it out to first every once in a while, but you haven't seen a home run in 12 games. You know what happens to that individual? They lose confidence. They get up to the batter's box and they see that target. They've got the right tools. They, use, they lose confidence. They can't hit the ball. See, we have to be tireless and have to have confidence, right? When we work in our communities around the world, we need to have the same mindset as a baseball player. You know, when a, when a baseball player goes to play baseball, he can't develop a fear of the ball or, you know, you can't be afraid of getting hit. You're going to be throwing the ball right at you. You're standing in the batter's box, someone's throwing 98, a little ball that big around, you know, that can kill you. If it hits you in the wrong spot, right? So you can't develop a fear of the baseball. You have to be able to boldly get in the box, have confidence you can hit it. It's not if you're going to get hit playing baseball, it's when, right? When am I going to get hit? Well, it's the same thing with evangelism. We go out into the world, it's not... If we will be rejected, it's when will we be rejected, and we just have to keep right on going. We experienced that as a congregation during this last campaign that we had in the community, didn't we? Some of us were rejected, and sadly enough, that's just simply the way it is in the world. We just have to keep on working. Do you remember the original Star Trek introduction? The TV show begins with space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. The most famous split infinity in the history of grammar 
and it tells us to boldly go forward. That's confidence, right? That's confidence. That's what you have to do. We have to be confident, just like those in the first century, to go forward and do the things that God has asked us to do. The apostles spoke boldly about Christ even under threat. Remember Acts 5, 28? Well, we're going to obey God rather than men. That's confidence, right? But there's something we need to understand about confidence. Our confidence must be tempered with compassion, right? Paul told the Ephesians, he said, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ. Ephesians 4, 15. We've all heard the story about the two preachers. Went to a congregation, they were looking to hire a minister and they both spoke on the topic of hell. They chose one instead of the other and when the one found out, he, he called and he said, you know, I'm just curious why you didn't hire me. We both spoke on the same topic and, he, and, and the, the person to whom he spoke, he said, while you both did speak on the same topic, here was the difference. He spoke about hell and the possibility of people going to hell and he seemed truly disturbed and full of compassion for those people and heartbroken. And you spoke on the topic of hell almost as if you were glad they were going to go. You know, we have to watch ourselves, don't we? We read about someone who has been a scourge to the church, a scourge to God. We learn about someone who has been everything they can in opposition to God. And then they die. We have to be very careful that we don't think, boy, they're getting what they deserve. Boy, they're regretting it now. As if we're happy that they're being punished. See, I have to watch myself. I heard about Stephen Hawking dying, and that was one of the first things that entered my mind. This man has done all he could for all these years to destroy God. Boy, now he's really understanding where he was wrong. Brethren, that's not right. We ought to be sad if someone loses their soul. So our, our confidence must be tempered with compassion. Peter wrote this. He said, finally, all of you be of one mind having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing for he who would love life and see God, or see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 Peter 3, 8-12 You know, it is very difficult in this life to show compassion to someone who is not a brother if we're unable to show compassion to someone who is a brother. We have to be compassionate in this world. And we have to be confident. But we have to be compassionate as we apply the basic rules of baseball. And I think that it is a very informative sport. We learn a lot from it. Okay? We do have to remember this. We have to focus on the, to the target. Sin is a problem, but there's a way we can profit in this life. We have to use the tools provided for us, the Word of God and our fellow workers. We have to be tireless in our efforts. We have to work with confidence and we have to work with compassion. And that's what we learn. 
Of course, we're using baseball as an illustration. We learn that from the text. We learn that from the Word of God. And that's what God wants us to take away in this life, those things. And we can do that. But before you can do the things that we have described, you have to first be on the team, right? I'm not playing for the Washington Nationals or the Cincinnati Reds because I'm not on the team. Now, if I were playing for them, I would be on the team and I would have done those things necessary to be on the team, right? But I can be a Christian. I can be on God's team. I can be in His army. I can be a part of the vineyard. I can be a part of the effort if I only obey the gospel. And we talked about how to do that. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. If you've done those things, you've fallen away. You know, a lot of people get sent down to the minors when they play in the major leagues, right? They call that the bush league. They send them to the bushes. But you know what? They work their way back out. They improve. They do better. And when we fall away, we can improve. We can do better. We can come back to God and repent and confess, whether publicly or privately. And He'll put us back on the team. We'll be back in the family. And He'll love us. And we'll love those who come back. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, do that as we stand and as we sing.